the children as they go. And as we were away on vacation last week, grateful for the Ministry of Teen Challenge that was here last week. And uh, it's good as Leah was away for several weeks for various things and vacations and serving and ministering in other uh, spaces. Uh, It's good to be back with you. I know a number of folks are traveling this weekend as well or preparing for a wedding this afternoon or whatever it may be, but it's good to be together as a family. Uh, Whether it's our normal size group or whether some are off and around, we bless uh, each one and bless you as we look to uh, the Lord together through his word. There are sermon notes in your bulletins, but today we start a couple of messages this, this uh, series on kingdom, count, uh, kingdom counterculture and the Sermon on the Mount has a, a shift in focus now to acts of righteousness. There are three acts of righteousness, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting that we will look at over the next uh, two weeks or so. But today, uh, you can follow along with those sermon notes. There'll be more uh, notes on the screen if you desire to do that. But as we talk today about the act of righteousness of giving... I was thinking about a a meal that I had in a restaurant one time with a man who knew that I was a pastor. And one of the things about being a pastor is sometimes you get some really interesting reactions from people. Uh, Sometimes they will be talking one way and all of a sudden they find out you're a pastor and they completely change the way they're talking. Or they know you're a pastor so they they really put on a good face. Somehow they think that I'm going to have some kind of... uh, better standing to get them to heaven or something like that before God. I'm just like them, and we just have the same good news in Jesus. Amen? But he had this idea, I think because I was a pastor, as we ate and the bills came, his bill came, and as that bill came, he pulled out this wad of cash, and he looked over at the table, and he said to me, watch this. And he gave the waiter some cash and told him, keep the change. After the waiter left, he looked over at me and he said, did you see the look on the waiter's face? That was a $40 tip and it only needed to be a couple dollars. How about that? All of a sudden, I realized he did that just to impress me. I, had, I was so dumbfounded in the moment that I was left speechless, but I think if Jesus was there, he would have some words to say to that man. Because Jesus enters a new section on the Sermon on the Mount detailing this kingdom counterculture and he addresses several acts of righteousness. And in verse 1 he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, before people to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, Jesus' focus was not so much on what should be done, because these were expectations that people in first century Israel, Jewish followers of the Lord, knew were not optional, they were expectations. So he wasn't detailing what they needed to do, but rather in the expectations of what they should have been doing already, he focuses on how they should be doing it. That instead of doing these for the praise of those around them, they should be doing it to be seen by one person, an audience of one, and that was God, their Father in heaven, not to be noticed by anyone else, but to be noticed by him. Not to be for the praise or reward of anyone else, but the praise and reward of the Father in heaven. 
You know, that man that I ate with is really not so different from me. And he's probably not so different from you. Because we all want praise, we all want affirmation for the good things that we do. It's a temptation, I believe, that we all deal with. We want somebody to come along and affirm us and praise us. It's, it's there. And it can be confusing at times because as we've been in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So if we take these couple chapters, it can be kind of confusing. You have in one section and in one message, let your good deeds be seen so that people will praise your Father in heaven. And now Jesus is saying, when you're doing your good deeds, your act of righteousness, don't let people see them. Do it in secret. What's going on? Is Jesus confused? Is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? I don't believe he is. Commentator A.B. Bruce summarized it this way. He said, we are to show when we are tempted to hide, and we are to hide when we are tempted to show. We are to show when we are tempted to hide, and we are to hide when we are tempted to show. Jesus addresses our temptation in Matthew 5 to hide be it because of fear or because of withdrawal from the world, Jesus addresses there in Matthew 5 our temptation to hide from the world and keep our good deeds, to not let our light, the light of Jesus, shine in a dark world. He confronts our temptation to withdraw and to hide and to be ashamed of him by saying, no, let it shine. Let your light shine before men that people might see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. But he addresses now our temptation to want others to see all the good we're doing so that we are the ones who are blessed, so that we are the ones who are praised. In both cases, I believe this is the bottom line. The bottom line, I believe, is who is receiving glory. Because in Matthew 5, in holding the light in and not letting others see our good deeds, we are actually robbing the Father of glory by hiding who we are, hiding the good news, keeping our light shining from shining before others. We are robbing the Father of praise. But on the other side, if I am out there, you are out there, and we are living for the praise of people, praise me, praise me, praise me, we are also robbing the Father of praise. Because I am the one that's getting the glory. I am the one who is getting the praise, not the Father. So whether we are hiding and robbing the Father of glory, or whether we are showing so we get the glory and robbing the Father of glory, the root is the same. Who gets the credit? We live for the glory of God. And so with all of that introduction because that will help us in these next couple messages think through who is getting the praise, who is getting the glory. Let's look for a few moments at this giving topic as an act of righteousness. There are three lessons so that it's not so much what we are to do but how we are to do it. The first lesson on how we are to give is this, give as expected. 
this idea of when you give in verse 2, and also verse 3, when you give, carries this idea that Jesus is expecting his listeners, expecting us to be givers. Why? Because God is a God who gives. We are expected to give because God is a God who gives. It's not an option. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James says, Every good and perfect gift comes from God. God gave his very best in giving his son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. God is a giver. So as ones who are created in his image and in his likeness, as, one who, as ones who are his beloved children, we are also givers. It's in our spiritual DNA, you might say. Because our Father is a giver, we are givers also. Well, what was the expectation for those first century Israelites? What was the expectation of giving that Jesus was assuming they were already doing? goes two ways, and the first is a vertical giving, and that it was a giving back to God. In the Old Testament, there was an expectation of giving in three ways to God. The first was a tithe. This was regular giving, a tenth of all that they would receive as a way of honoring the Lord and acknowledging that he is the giver of all good gifts and that all things belong to him. Whenever they would receive something, they would give a tenth back to the Lord. Still today, I believe that this principle remains for us, that we are to be people who, as we receive, whether paycheck or blessing or whatever it is, that we give a tenth back to the Lord. Not so much so that the church gets all your money, so to speak, but because it is an act of worship, an act of dependence, an act of faith to give back to God. They were expected to give a tithe. They were also expected to give an offering. Offerings were given at three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And people were expected, according to the ways that the Lord had blessed them, to bring an offering to the Lord as an act of worship, as an act of praise to him. We can think of offerings in the way of as the Lord has blessed us, as the Lord has given to us, we are able to participate in things that are outside of the regular 10% giving. Things such as giving to our international workers that we saw this morning on the screen through the Great Commission Fund. Things like Great Commission Day. Things that are not regular opportunities for us to give. And a third offering, tithes, offerings, a third way that they were expected to give was the offering of first fruits. First fruits was an offering that was given to the Lord out of the first of their harvest. They were an agricultural people primarily, and so out of the first of their harvest, they would bring it in. Imagine, you've worked all season. You don't know. At any moment, there could be a hailstorm. There could be a plague of, of uh, you know, like locusts could come and could eat up all of your crops, and the Lord says, trust me in this. The first of your harvest, whether it's grapes or whether it's olives or whether it's grain, whatever it is, the first of it you bring to the Lord to the temple for the priests. You have no guarantee that the rest of that is coming in, do you? But it was a way to trust the Lord and a way to acknowledge all of the harvest that is about to come is from you. And so they would bring the first fruits as an offering to the Lord 
of thanksgiving and trust. These offerings were expected to be given to God. And I believe that there are parallels for us as I shared this morning of how we can be expected to give as well. But there is another category of giving. And it's what Jesus is addressing here. And that is giving to people on a horizontal level. He says there in verse 2, so when you give to the needy. It's what can be classified as almsgiving, giving to the poor. And there was scriptural precedent for this in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, Moses from the Lord says this, If there is a poor man or woman among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. This was an expectation for the people of God. And they were to be careful not to think because debts were canceled every seven years in Israel. They were to be careful not to think, oh, we're only six months away from the debts being canceled. That poor person will have more money. He can wait it out. Instead, if there was a needy person, a poor person in their land, they were not to be, as Moses said, tight-fisted. They were to be open-handed with the needy, the poor in their land. The Lord is clear, there will always be poor in your land. Be careful to make sure that you meet their needs. There's another classification of people that were not just the poor, but they were poor because of circumstances. This is later in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 17 to 22, it's a a group of people, of hired people, of aliens or foreigners, widows, and the fatherless, those whose parents have died. How do you care for these who are in need? So Moses says, do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy. Whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien, a a foreigner, person from another country living in one of your towns. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice. Or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. The precedent of the Lord is there. You were slaves. You had nothing. 
Now as you come and you're in this land of abundance and you are working and the Lord is blessing you, be careful not to forget the hired man who is poor, the foreigner, the widow, and the fatherless. Take care of those who are in need. These were expectations that all Israelites that were listening to Jesus would have had on their mind. The expectation was that God's people would give to him and would give to the needy. It was not optional. And it stemmed from the fact that God is a giver. The second lesson on how to give. We give as expected, but we give second, not for man's reward. Give not for man's reward. So when you give to the needy, verse 2, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Why do we not give for man's reward? Because it draws attention to self. The needy would have been at the temple. The needy would have been on the road. The needy would have been in plain sight because they knew this is how they would have been taken care of. They knew that God had set up for their care that people would come and see them, especially as they came to the synagogue, especially as they came to the temple to give their offerings to God. They knew that people knew the expectation of giving and caring for the needy and for the poor. And so they would be there along the way. And instead of giving so that the needs of people would be met, Jesus says, don't give like the hypocrites. Jesus says that when you give, don't give like the hypocrites do. Understand that the hypocrites that Jesus would have been referring to was not the people who were the sinners of the day. They were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers of the law. Who would, and there's debate over whether they would actually do this or this was just a caricature of them, but would announce their giving with trumpet blares. So imagine, here comes a Pharisee, a religious leader, a teacher of the religious law coming along and seeing a poor person and having trumpets blown to get everyone's attention so that everyone would see this religious person give to the needy. These were the ones who were held up as the righteous, that were held up as the examples. And Jesus says they're not the examples, they are hypocrites. They give, but they give for attention to themselves. And just as he was calling them hypocrites then, if we are giving to the needy, if we are giving to God so that others can see us, Jesus has the same name for us today. And while we may not give with the announcing of trumpets, we live in a look-at-me culture, don't we? This look-at-me culture that is present with media, 
that is present with social media, that is present with social networking, that is present with, hey, listen to what I did kinds of conversations. We are not different. It's around us. It's seen for us. People know it. We have opportunity to bring attention to ourselves easily. And while it may not be what trumpet blares, there are plenty of ways that we may announce our giving to others. Jesus says not to give this way for man's reward because it draws attention to ourselves and because ultimately it is seeking an earthly reward. Jesus says these have received their reward. When this kind of giving is done to be seen by people, there is a reward in it. And that reward is somebody else coming along and saying, wow, you are amazing. Wow, you are generous. Wow, you are kind. Wow, you are so spiritual. Wow, 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 wow. You, 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 you. And there is a reward in that. But Jesus says that is an earthly reward. You have received your reward in full. You've received it from the praise of another person. But here's the thing with the praise of another person. As soon as that praise is done, as soon as you've given and that praise is done, it's gone until you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And if you live for the praise of people, it is only earthly and it is only temporal. It is the praise of people, not the praise of God. There's one other lesson in this that is contained in the overall teaching of Scripture that I want to bring attention to for a moment. When we give not for man's reward, or we do give for man's reward, what we are actually doing is dehumanizing the needy person. This kind of giving has this aspect to it because we are created in the image and the likeness of God and we are to to humanize one another. We are not to use one another for our own good. It's not love. It is usury. And so this kind of motive for reward dehumanizes or disrespects the dignity of the needy person. In other words, the giver is using the needy person to prop themselves up. And as they prop themselves up, they are actually pushing that person's dignity, who is created in the image and likeness of God, down. So think about it this way. Imagine a Pirates or Steelers game. The crowd is outside of PNC Park or Acrisure Stadium, or just this past week, the 4th of July down at the point, and there's a huge crowd waiting to watch fireworks all in the downtown area. There is a large crowd. And imagine for a moment that you are a person experiencing homelessness. Through a set of circumstances that were beyond your control, bad breaks along the way, you find yourself in a place that you never thought you would be or you never wanted to be. And there you are in the midst of this crowd on the side, there hoping that someone might help you with some food or some money to get you through the next day. And all of a sudden, here comes an individual alongside, and he calls out real loud, can I have everyone's attention? He may even have 
a bullhorn. He's got social media from people who are around. They've got their phones on. And, and you know what happens. As soon as someone makes a big stir, everybody's phones come out, right? Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And all of a sudden, you have people who are videoing all of this. And this man comes over to you. And he said, everyone, this poor, needy person, I am about to change this individual's life. Never ask your permission. Never ask you your name. Never does anything except to say, this poor, needy person, I am going to change their life. I have $10,000 cash right here with me. And hundred by hundred by hundred by hundred, counting out the $10,000 and giving it to you. You had absolutely no desire to be a part of this. And it is going viral. The local news, national news, picks up this act of good that has been done by this individual to you, a poor, needy person. How would you feel? Your plight was brought out for everyone to see. You're just homeless person. Your dignity has been cast aside. You have been turned into an object of someone else's praise. While this person who gives to the needy goes viral, you are a dehumanized person. They are lifted up. You are used. This is what Jesus is talking about. And while he doesn't specifically use this as a teaching, this is a byproduct of living for my praise and not the praise of God. That person, that person, though given money, you, given money, that person has received praise. So instead, Jesus says this, third lesson on how we are to give. We are to give for the Father's reward. Verses three to four, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When we give for the Father's reward, we divert attention from ourselves. Jesus says that our giving should be done in secret, not for people to see. He says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this kind of metaphorical exaggeration assumes that there would be the right hand giving to the needy person. And so that the, the giving would be done in such a way that you have no sense within yourself of look at me. It's going to be pretty hard that your right hand and left hand literally is not as if your right hand has a brain and your left hand has a brain. This is figures of speech that Jesus is using, but you get the picture. Giving with your right hand so that your left hand can't even see what's going on. That even in our giving, the secrecy, that even amongst ourselves, in ourselves, we have not received 
and do not put ourselves in a position to get praise. Attention is diverted from me and to a place where God gets the glory and we are in a spot of trusting for the Father's reward. Instead of looking for praise or reward from people, it's trusting that the reward will be given to us by our Father. Trust is needed for a couple things. Trust is needed because human reward feels good, doesn't it? We can all admit human reward feels good when others reward us. And so there's trust needed in this because we have to trust that God's reward of us is better than a human's reward of us. And there's trust involved as well because when we have human reward, it is immediate. (laughs) When someone sees you there, way to go. Hey, everybody, did you see what they did? Whoa, it is an immediate kind of reward. But trusting God for reward is different because it may not come until eternity. And we have to trust that will it come? Will God do what he says he's going to do? And is it worth waiting for? God is faithful. Jesus says our Father will reward us. And it often comes with the joy in the moment of knowing that we have been faithful to him. The joy of knowing that we have met a need, even if no one else knows it. Giving for the Father's reward also humanizes the needy person. Giving this way honors the image of God in that person. It focuses love and care on them. And instead of creating a spectacle, imagine if that person who got the attention of thousands of people, imagine if that person saw you on the side of the road sitting there and simply came over quietly as the crowd went on, focused on whatever, waiting for the game, waiting for the fireworks, watching the fireworks, just came over and simply sat next to you. And as they sat next to you, they quietly slipped you a sandwich. Or maybe even slipped you that $10,000. Or maybe said, I'd love to hear your story. Can I buy you a meal as we go down to the restaurant down the street? And a throng of thousands focused on a Pirates or Steelers game or fireworks, that act off to the side is not going to get attention. No one except you and that person and the Father may ever know of the way that you met the need. But yet Jesus says this is the way of the kingdom. The worldly culture says do it so that you get the credit. Do it so your name gets out there. Do it so your organization's name gets out there. Do it so everyone applauds you. There's reward for the person who gives. And Jesus says, do it in secret only for the reward 
of the Father, who always knows and sees what is done in secret and will reward your faithfulness. Friends, the cross is the ultimate example of this kind of giving. It was very public. Jesus nailed to a cross, naked, bloody to the point of being unrecognizable. Criticisms and jeers and insults thrown at him. It was public, but he wasn't getting an ounce of praise. It was humiliation. Scriptures say, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. There was nothing of praise or glory in that moment from men or women. But yet Jesus, for the praise of his Father and for the reward of his Father, hung on that cross to the point of the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, the sin of all who have ever lived and will ever live placed upon him. And in his moment of death, the Father and the Spirit being separated from him because they could not look upon the sin that was on the Son. And Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no praise from people. But yet God, who is rich in love and rich in mercy, gave his Son. And Jesus, who is rich in love and rich in mercy, gave himself. So that the greatest need that any human being could ever have could be met. And that was our sin need, our sin debt. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And therefore we are separated from God in relationship now and for eternity. But God in his mercy gave Jesus. And in his death and in his ultimate resurrection paid the price for our sin that everyone who calls on his name, who repents of their sin, acknowledges all that separated them from him, the sin that separated them from God. All who call on the name of the Lord and repent of their sin will be saved. Their greatest need met through the life, the blood, and the resurrection of Jesus. Today we praise him. Today we worship him. For all eternity we will declare worthy is the lamb that was slain as we edified one another in worship this morning by declaring worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we gather around the communion table together to say worthy is the lamb who was slain to give praise to the one who gave not for the reward or not for the praise of people for the praise and the reward of his Father in heaven, and we benefit greatly because he met our greatest need, our sin debt being paid for.